Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. I want to talk first about a few geopolitical things that are taking place that I think are certainly important. And I think it really falls into this wavelength of there's no way that this is a coincidence, and this has to be something that's being forced in a good way to, again, further expose the bad guys, I think. Most things that occur right before an election, we know that there's a lot of dirt that's thrown around and a lot of panic and a lot of propaganda and just a number of different things. But you would assume that both the left and the right would want to stay away from particular issues, that there are just certain things that they would not want to bring up before an election because it would cost them. For example, as you've heard me bring up here, and as even A.J. Gochik has, has told me, and, uh, and, and I read that particular text message on this show, that as far as Republicans are concerned, it is not beneficial for them to bring up anything related to the jabs because at least half of their constituency is jabbed. So if they bring up all of the things that are taking place with the jabbed individuals, all the injuries, all the deaths, et cetera, et cetera, that's not going to work out for them. What's interesting, too, is, is that on the proverbial left of the political spectrum, so to speak, they're doing things that you would wonder, why on earth are you doing that now? Why on earth are you inviting transsexuals into the so-called White House to meet with Joe Biden and discuss whatever the hell they discuss? Why would you have the CDC make a vote last week recommending 15 to 0 that these COVID jabs make their way into the regular regiment of poisons that they give children and then recommend them for school-aged children and be mandated or forced and mandatory, rather, for school-aged children in order to attend an American K-12 school? You would think that that would be political kryptonite for them. You would think that they would know that. But this is being forced. It's almost as if, again, a bulldozer is behind them. And it's just the bulldozer of truth and complete control either by white hats or someone else forcing these organizations to make these decisions very quickly and right in front of an election. But we're seeing who's discussing these issues and who isn't. Again, as far as Republicans are concerned, they're only interested in giving more money to Ukraine and bankrupting everybody as fast as the left is interested in bankrupting everybody. None of this is politically advantageous for any of them. So I just don't think it's a coincidence. I think that we're being shown a lot of different things here on purpose right in front of the election so that we can see the ridiculousness of all of it. Steve Bannon, for example, being sentenced to four, being sentenced to four months in jail for doing nothing, and yet Hunter Biden does what? Allegedly walks around free? It can't be more obvious. I just don't think that I mean, at face value, it's going to trick people into saying, well, this is unfair, this is unfair, I can't believe this is happening, this is so unfair. But if you think deeper down into it, is it really happening? Is it even really going on? Alex Jones now, with Sandy Hook, the Sandy Hook parents want 
$2.4 trillion from Alex Jones? That's impossible. <laughs> it's laughable, actually. It's just laughable. It's beyond laughable. It's fake. The whole thing has to be fake. It's just there to outrage people and wake people up. I think it's working. I think it's a good thing that it's working. But it's beyond comical. So those are just a few examples that I wanted to bring up. There's a couple others. First of all, there's some European protests taking place, and by some, I mean many. They are pounding the pavement in numerous European countries right now about everything that's going on. The digital currency, the lack of jobs. You name it. Pick a subject. Uh, Canada. Apparently, Justin Castro has banned guns, both the sale, trading, and, what is it, acquisition of firearms now. Seems a bit odd, and the timing is a bit odd. Not advantageous for anyone, even in America. Americans paying attention to this. This isn't going to persuade them to vote left. That is, if they're sitting on the fence anyway, but. I don't I don't see that working out for anybody. Same thing with the Dutch farmers. Apparently the Dutch farmers are having their farmland taken away from them at gunpoint. And this continues to be a thing now. So again, it's interesting what the American media will cover, what they won't cover. And all of this again seems forced. It just seems forced. Because so much of it is so ridiculous. I'm not saying that some of it isn't really happening. I just think that some of it is so outrageous and outlandish, it has to be fake. It has to be controlled to some extent. So I wanted to put that out there, just some food for thought. But those are some of the things that are certainly happening. Uh, I'll add this in too, because I think this is interesting. I don't know if anybody's ever watched or listened to Monkey Works on YouTube. But this individual, again, is apparently ex-military and uh, watches the planes and the military aircraft that fly to and fro. And it turns out, apparently, again, that numerous military individuals and aircraft have not only been flying around at an extraordinary rate these days, but airports are taking these military planes in and military helicopters in on a regular basis also, more so than in the past. And there was a 13-minute video, give or take, of him on his YouTube channel talking about a lot of this. He seems to think, again, that they are being strategically placed around the United States in order to act on particular threats or something pre, during, or post-election. So again, more things to consider that something might be occurring down the line. I know a lot of people are wondering what's going to happen around this election, uh, this upcoming election day. And I just think that time is going to tell. The only test that seems to matter is the test of time. And uh, time is certainly going to tell on this. So keep your eyes peeled without a doubt. And uh, yeah, I guess prepare for the worst, hope for the best. and. Certainly get out there and vote no matter what, because again, they're going to try to steal this one 
they're certainly going to try to steal it, and they're going to keep trying to steal them, and that's not going to stop, I don't think, unless more and more people are arrested in mass, and uh, they're not catching just these low-level individuals when it comes to election fraud. Again, we've already seen some news footage of individuals who are patriots watching these so-called drop boxes that still exist in certain states, and they're monitoring these drop boxes with 24-hour surveillance. They are physically parking themselves in and around these drop boxes to make sure that ridiculous activities don't take place. I don't think that's going to stop everything, because if they can just print off these paper ballots and just count them and just say, well, here's how many came in, then, you know, they're controlling the vote, regardless of if it happens in front of well-intended people or not, but doesn't mean we shouldn't vote. We, sh we certainly should, and, and we need to overwhelm the system as much as we can. So I just wanted to toss that out because there's certainly a lot going on, and it's just going to ramp up, I think, even more the closer that we get to Election Day. Okay, here's the next thing. Again, this is a local issue, but this is an issue, again, that is taking place throughout the entire United States, and I certainly wanted to bring up a couple of examples here. Um, the local school district where I live, as you've heard me say, has a levy on the ballot that is going to be a permanent levy. I believe as the math works itself out, for every $100,000 of value that your property has, you're going to be paying an extra $570 every year. On top of that, there is also a county tax that is designed apparently to support child protective services. Now, if you listen to this show and other shows, I'm sure you're well aware of Child Protective Services and what they do. And it begs the question again, why would they be running out of money now? And why are they looking to tax local individuals and local residents and local taxpayers to continue to fund their child trafficking organization? But that's what they're trying to do. There's an element in this, too, that is getting lost on some as well. This isn't just homeowners that are being taxed. These are renters being taxed. Because if I own a piece of property where there is rental property or multiple rental units, so to speak, like an apartment building, I have to pay taxes on that property as the property owner. Which means what? What, what would I do, do you think, as a property owner in order to make up the difference and pay off those upcoming school levy and county taxes if they actually pass? Would I just pay them out of my own pocket and take it easy on all of the renters? Of course not. No property owner would do that if they're renting out particular units like in an apartment building. They would simply increase the rent with everybody in order to make up that difference and pay off those taxes. This is an element of all of this that they're not considering, that no one's considering, including, I might add, where I live, university students who may live on rental property. Now, they're probably not registered voters here in this town. Many university students aren't makes total sense that they wouldn't be registered voters here. 
I completely get it, let alone vote, because many college students just don't vote. Or they vote absentee back in their, you know, their hometown or wherever it is that they live. But everyone gets taxed in this. Everybody. And taxes like this, I might add, are going to crush numerous individuals, in particular the elderly, who are on fixed incomes. And many of people, many people these days are on fixed incomes, whether they are elderly or not. They just can't afford it. Again, this is the hardship of what occurs when you are married to government and you can't actually think your way out of a wet paper bag. You can't see another option. The only option for the people who are incapable of thinking is to maintain the government system. They just have to maintain it. And if that means going broke in the process, well, then they're going to go broke in the process. So in this most recent school board meeting, during the public comment section, there were a number of things that were brought up that were both interesting and remarkably depressing and deserve a dive into what these parents are actually thinking so that we can dissect their stupidity, along with dissecting their common sense. Because there were a few people who had common sense and brought up the points that I just mentioned, and then there were people who are married to government. But I want to play two audio clips. The first one is of a man who is describing some of the wasteful spending that occurs with school boards and with administrators within school boards. In fact, I'll give you a small example. You've heard me mention this a long time ago. One of the things that's very common among school board members and district officials and district administrators, etc., is they will pay for their own automobiles on taxpayer on the taxpayer dime that they themselves won't buy their own automobiles. They will quite literally have taxpayers or or pull money for their own automobiles out of the taxpayer fund, the school fund. They'll do the same thing with cell phones and cell phone bills. They'll make sure that they all get the latest cell phone and the just the newest cell phone and the best cell phone plan that money can buy. They aren't paying for it out of their own out of their own bank account. They're simply stealing it from the school fund. And of course, they make that policy in XYZ. The same is true with healthcare plans in many cases, which you're going to hear this guy describe. So this guy made an open records request. He got some information as to where the money was going and how much they were losing. So I'm going to play his audio clip first, and I want you to hear again just how he breaks it down. He's a little more polite than I would have been. I would have been more direct. Because again, you have to keep in mind that these are child abusers. These people are child abusers, and they deserve no quarter. So this, uh, you know, these pleasantries that they pass back and forth with one another. Well, they'll, you know, they'll say, "Well, thank you for your service," and you know, it's a thankless job, and I and people don't thank you enough. Uh, but you know, I just want to say thank you. You're never going to hear me thank a child abuser for anything ever, let alone an elected f- official who's a child abuser. Not going to happen. It'll never happen. You need to talk to these people like they're child abusers, and in my opinion, they should be put down like the dogs that they are. But that's another matter for another time. The point is, is people need to stop being cordial with these people. 
Either way, he makes good points, and I want you to hear his audio right now. So give this a quick listen, and then I'll jump in on the other end. Hello, my name is Matt Garland. I live in Oak Township. I have three students currently in schools. Um, I want to thank you for the work you do. I know it's not rewarding always, and thanks, but thank you. I would also like to make thank Mrs. Stefelski for her light and rapid response to my public record request. Uh, after obtaining info about salaries, health care, and pension benefits from the treasurer, I would like to propose a method of saving money in the school. Now, I realize this isn't going to chop the levy. It's not going to save the world. But it will show the voters and the taxpayers that the school administrators truly for the students with the community. Ten of the highest paid district employees do not pay for their monthly health care premiums. The info that Mrs. Stefelski provided me shows that this cost is over $50,000 a year. Six of the highest paid school employees don't contribute to their pension plans. The district pays that employee's portion. From the numbers Mrs. Stefelski provided, that average cost is $38,000 a year. So the health care and the pension pickup together is $88,000 a year. One of the things I've read is that a cut that might be coming if the levy fails is pay-to-play sports. And I've read that that could be close to $1,000. The pension and health care costs I mentioned would cover the pay-to-play costs for 88 student-athletes. So if the board would implement the pay-to-play. Uh, I've read on the pro-levy Facebook page that pay-to-play mostly affects lower-income and minority students. So levy fails, that's 88 low-income and minority students that may not get to play sports. Um, and that's because administrators have their health care and pensions covered by the district. I've heard equity here a lot. We've all heard that. I'm not sure how certain people getting free benefits and up to 88 kids potentially not being able to play a sport is equitable. I don't see that in any way. Um, to further illustrate this, the nine lowest paid teachers pay almost 20% of their income on pension and health care. Not sure where the equity is in that either. Um, the lowest paid members paying the most for their benefits while the highest paid members pay nothing. That is not equity by my definition, or anyone's, I would assume. Um, my health care costs are going up $1,000 next year. Levy passes another $750 to my tax bill. It's almost $2,000 out of my pocket. I'm asking the board and the administration seconds. to put your money where your mouth is and help this community. Give up some of your perks so the taxpayers, students, and employees can have something better. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Gordon. That was well done. He was highlighting again the amount of money that the district officials themselves aren't paying for their own health care premiums, and then they're also not contributing any of their salaries into their own retirement funds. Again, if you want to save money in an American K-12 school district, you should cut the salary of the, of the superintendent alone in half. That's what you should do. 
you should cut the salaries of the administrators. The cuts shouldn't come from the bottom up. They should come from the top down. But they always come from the bottom up. Why? Because the people at the top are in charge. It really is just that simple. They're the ones that make the most money, and why on earth would they take a pay cut? They wouldn't, because they're unethical people. It comes with the territory. It comes with the position, by and large. I loved his use of the word equitable. Doesn't sound very equitable to me. He's right. He's pointing out their hypocrisy because doing it is easy. It's remarkably easy. Fools are hypocrites on a constant basis, and they do it in public, in broad daylight, for everyone to see, and they think they're getting away with it. You see, a simple records request can divulge a lack of ethical behavior among school officials that you can't possibly imagine. I myself, of course, have done it. I wrote four Substack articles about it. I hope, I hope you gave those a read when I wrote them. They're still on my Substack page. What you will see regarding a lot of those emails back and forth, in particular in the district where I live, is they all agreed as board members that they don't want to answer emails from parents. That they're nervous about doing that as elected officials. Now think about that. They actually don't want to answer emails from parents. They all agreed that it would be far safer for them and far better if the superintendent received those emails and then replied to parents. Not the board members. Not the people that are elected by the parents and the citizens of the town or the city. They're too nervous. They don't want, they don't want to do it because they don't want to have their opinions get crossed and their messages get crossed. They're too afraid of contradicting themselves and one another, which should prove to you that they're not elected officials to actually say anything different from one another. They're elected officials because they're, they all play for the exact same team. These tax levies are going to bankrupt people. And if you drive around Oxford, Ohio, as you've heard me say, it's empty. The place is emptier than it's ever been. There are less foreign students attending Miami University. There are properties up for rent and rental properties up for sale. The amount of students that are attending Miami University is rock bottom. No one's going to convince me otherwise doesn't pass the eyeball test. Now here's the next one, because the next one is equally as incredible, but on the other end of the spectrum. And again, the previous speaker was a little nicer than I would have been. You know, the, the, these individuals abused children in broad daylight for two straight years. And you're thanking them at the beginning for all the work they do. Nah. No, you don't thank child abusers for anything. But I want to play this audio now from a parent who is two years older than me. In fact, the, the, the very second speaker in the public comment section was a student who graduated in my class. He's not the sharpest knife in the drawer, and his comments proved it, but it's not worth playing because he's just, he's just dumb. And I feel, I feel sorry for how stupid he is. He's one, he's, he's, he's one of the guys that you would consider uh, a lifer. 
you know, born here, lived here, die here. He, he's he's one of those guys. Never left, loves high school. High school was the best time of his life kind of thing. That, that's, that's, you know, that, that's that person. And I'm not going to play his audio because it's just, I don't know, it's not worth it. It's not worth my time. Um, this audio, however, is, I think, emblematic of the larger problem, which is government dependence. And how individuals actually believe that they are not the parent, that government is the parent, and there's no way that they themselves, as a leftist, could ever be a parent without the help of government. It 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 is it just blows me away in, in every stretch of the imagination. I, I cannot wrap my mind around this level of brainwashing. This woman's name is Emily Greenberg. Now, I'm going to paint a picture for you, and it's going to sound shallow, so my apologies in advance, but you'll know the kind of person I'm talking about because we probably all went to school with someone like this, in particular if you went to school in the 90s, in the 80s or 90s, in particular if you were in middle school and high school in the 90s. Emily Greenberg was a self-important fat hippie. There's really no other way to describe it. Just a self-important, never-wrong, fat hippie. One of those students that would walk around the school loud, always talking out loud like everything that they were talking about needed to be everybody's business. I mean, you know this. You know this personality. You know this kind of person. Talking to random people as if the random people who are there care about what the person is saying. And it's, it's disgusting. I also want to paint a picture just to create a visualization, if I can, of what this individual used to look like. Again, I, I don't pay attention to what they look like now. I could care less. But the point is, is that I just want to paint a picture from a high school perspective. Because we've all been in school. We all dressed particular ways. Some of us cared about what we wore. Some of us didn't. Some of us weren't even thinking about it. We just showed up, and that was it. Emily Greenberg was the kind of fake hippie student back in the 90s, as if the 90s needed more hippies, uh, who would wear Birkenstock sandals, corduroy pants that didn't fit, big t-shirts, Grateful Dead this, Grateful Dead that, all over their body, and that was about it. I mean, just the unkempt, unclean look. You get what I'm saying. That's my opinion. I'm entitled to my opinion, and this is my show. So that's my opinion. But I just wanted to paint a picture, a visual picture for everybody, so that you can get a general idea as to what kind of a person that I'm describing here. You can go one of two directions in life after high school while being a person like that. You either double down on that behavior and that permanently becomes who you are, or you recognize your faults through life changes, life experiences, maturity, and you end up recognizing that the way that you were behaving was probably not the best thing, that humility might be a little bit of a better approach. Not so with Emily Greenberg. She is dependent on the school system and government to raise her child. She says a great deal of revealing things, of which I'm going to break down on the other end. As you might expect, she supports the levy 100% because 
we can't afford cuts at a school district that me and my family and my handicapped child are so dependent on. And then she provides some backhanded compliment at the end, something to the tune of, I'm not voting just for me, I'm voting for all of your families. Shut up. Just shut up. It's pathetic. It's absolutely pathetic. So, here's her glorious audio and brainwashing NPC leftist nonsense in three, two, one. Good evening. My name is Emily Greenberg, class of 1998. <clears throat> I live in Oxford and I have two kids in the Talawanda schools. Thank you to Mr. Mead and the board members for the opportunity to speak this evening. And thank you to our social workers. Um, I didn't know that was on the agenda. So for all of their support for our kids. I want to talk about the impacts to our kids' mental health if this levy does not pass. Currently, there is one psychologist in every building, eight counselors split, split across buildings, and one social worker in each elementary school, and a social, social worker splitting their time across THS and TMS. Having these resources, plus the teachers, administrators, staff, etc., are important to the academic success of our kids under normal circumstances and critical after, after COVID. So why am I spending my three minutes talking about mental health and the services that Talawanda provides our kids? Because these are positions that can be reduced if the school levy does not pass. One of my sons suffers from severe anxiety and ADHD, and his support system at his school has been remarkable. The team at his school can give him and students like him a level of support that would not be possible if the levy does not pass there would be reduction in all mental health resources without additional funding. Many students in our district do not have the resources outside of school to get mental health services they need, and the wait lists for outside mental health support are tremendous. If the levy does not pass, there will be kids in our district who need mental health support and will not receive the level of care that they are receiving today. The chatter online has been much focused on pay-to-play or busing of high school students. Well, pay-to-participate ties directly to mental health. Imagine a kid not being able to play a sport or participate in extracurriculars because it's cost prohibitive. Talawanda estimates the district's cost per kid per sport is around $1,000. What will be the impact to that kid's mental health and academic success if they are unable to participate? What will they be doing if they are not participating? We all have an example of a classmate who wouldn't be where they are today in life if they had not had the opportunity to participate in sports and extracurriculars. When I am asked why I'm supporting the levy, my answer is simple. While I can provide the resources for my children to be successful outside of school, the help they have received within the school system has been invaluable. I'm not voting yes just for my seconds. kids. I'm voting yes to support all children to have the same access to support as we have had, regardless of household income or family circumstances. Thank, Thank you. you. I don't think that there could be a better example of how a person sounds when they live in the matrix. That's it right there. That audio from a K-12 education, child-raising, motherly standpoint, 
It does not get any better than that. Emily Greenberg will never wake up. We're talking about a double-jabbed, triple-jabbed, maybe even quadruple-jabbed person. Shocked she's still alive. I'm shocked. But this is an individual who, as I even recognized in my own open records request, is the kind of parent who emails the school district on a constant basis about all of their concerns from the perspective of a leftist. Again, she's an old 1990s hippie. Should tell you all you need to know. I mean, a lot of us, you know, went through that little phase, but it was a phase. Some people just don't outgrow it. They just carry it with them forever, not recognizing that they look silly later in life. So there's that. The next thing, she's consistently referencing mental health, and then she makes the killer mistake of referencing her child who has ADHD and anxiety. Now, what causes ADHD, which doesn't even exist, and anxiety? Could it be jabbing the ever-living shit out of your children and then making them wear a mask for two straight years? Could that be it? Could it be government manipulation? Could it be too much TV watching? Could it be too many stupid video games? Could it be all of the above, including just being a bad parent? Could that be it? Probably. Not to mention, anybody listening to this right now, ask yourself this question. Would you want your mother showing up to a school board meeting and telling everybody in the town that you, being the child, have ADHD and anxiety? Would you want everybody to know that? I wouldn't. I'd flip out. If my mother showed up to a school board meeting and said those things about me, now it's not relevant to me, but even so, I wouldn't want that to happen. So this is a leftist who uses their own children to advance their own cause. Not knowing, and this is the funny part, irony, is that she's using her own children and the decisions that she has made regarding her own children as being her justification for her stance on particular issues. See, her child didn't willfully wear a mask. Her child didn't willfully take copious amounts of vaccination upon being born, let alone months and years after being born. That was the mother's decision. So the child is the product of what the mother actually decided. And what goes on in the head of the parent, in between the ears of the parent, is what goes on with the child in many cases. So ADHD isn't a thing, and you, that parent, Emily Greenberg, caused the anxiety along with the school system themselves. They are quite literally supporting their own slavery. There is no, I, again, It's exquisite audio, and I want these morons to keep talking in these school board meetings. Please, please keep doing it. I love bringing it up on this show because that person 
has been multiplied in every school district across the United States, regardless of where you live. That person is not alone in that wavelength of thought. We need government. And if we don't have government, what am I going to do as a parent? Oh, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's so sad because, as you've heard me say, these are not survivable characteristics of a human being, let alone in today's day and age. They aren't. This is a parent who will kill their children. This is a parent who will also be the victim of their own poor decision-making because they believe things that are not real. Let me kick it up a notch even further. You heard her say the phrase, quote-unquote, support system. That phrase alone defines government. They might as well say government safety net. It's the same thing. What are we going to do without these supports? Does that mean that I have to be a parent for the first time in my entire life? Oh, God. You mean I can't send my kids to this school anymore? Oh, what am I going to do? You don't, you don't mean I have to teach them how to read, do you? You don't mean that I have to teach them anything, do you, as the parent? Is that what I'm supposed to do? No. I can't do that. That's why I, did. I didn't become a parent to teach my child anything. Her ancestors are laughing at her right now. Laughing. They're laughing. And they're probably very, very sad because they recognize that their own bloodline is so brainwashed that they will never, ever recover from this. They'll never recover. It's funny. It's comical. It's educational. It's depressing. It's all of it. But that's the individual again that if they could rule the world, we'd all have nothing. And a little experiment that I would encourage people to play, and I put this out on Gab. If you're interested in making an impact in a school board meeting before this election, and your school board still hasn't had their school board meeting, I guess, before the election, all you have to do is walk in to the meeting, walk up to the microphone and say, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to play a little experiment. I want everybody in this room to pull out a, one, a single dollar bill, one dollar, out of their wallet. Pull out one dollar, walk up to the table where all the board members are sitting with the superintendent and the treasurer, and put that dollar right on that table, knowing that that dollar is going to go to them, and you're never going to see that dollar again. Now, go ahead and do it. When no one does it, and no one will, that's when you say something sarcastic like, wow, I'm confused. So you don't want to give them a single dollar right now. But in two weeks on election day, you want to give them thousands of your dollars out of your own individual pocket year after year after year. How does that equate? It doesn't because it's the definition of hypocrisy. And then you make everybody in the room look like a hypocrite because that's what they are. See, that right there is just a small example of something that could happen in a board meeting that would put everybody on blast. And I'm all for it. 
Then, of course, she mentions the following. The old, if you can't play ball sports, what are the students going to do? Ladies and gentlemen, this is an excellent study from a long time ago. I don't have the name, but I do believe it is referenced in my book, Violence Among Students and School Staff, Understanding and Preventing the Causes of School Violence. In that book I wrote back in 2017, I highlight an article, a peer-reviewed research article, that says, and I'm paraphrasing it, there is no correlation, zero, between students who don't play ball sports and students who engage in crime. There's no correlation, none. There's also no correlation if you throw in this variable of student uh, economic status, we'll call it. If the student is somehow poorer and they don't get to play a ball sport in school, then they're more likely to pick up the crack pipe. That's not true. That's not true. It's an old leftist yarn that gets rolled out every single time people start talking about pay-for-play or academic success. That's the other thing, too. There's no correlation between individuals who don't play ball sports or can't play ball sports because of availability and academic success or academic failure. There's no correlation. You're comparing concrete to carrots. They just don't match up at all. These are studies that have been done, but the leftists don't read. See, they're not interested in reading and thinking. And they certainly don't connect dots because that's a dimension that's too deep for them. So keep that in mind going forward, please, that that, uh, that old fairy tale of, well, we don't have football anymore, so if they can't hit each other, you know, after school, their grades are going to drop. And they're not going to be able to read very well if they don't score touchdowns on the weekends. It's retarded. It's just retarded. There's no other way around it. But Sam Morris, the second guy who spoke in the entire public comment section, who again graduated with me, he played football. So he thinks that these things need to exist because, again, for him, high school was the best time of his life. That's sad. And it goes without saying here, I mean, again, that's my opinion, but it's a line in a very popular movie called Dazed and Confused. When the lead character stands up on the football field after they sneak onto the football field late at night and he stands up and he walks away and he says, if high school is the greatest years of my life, remind me to kill myself. And he's right. He was right. Not about the killing yourself part, but metaphorically, he was right. If that's how you view high school, then you haven't grown up, and that's a problem. That's a bit of a problem. I understand people like high school. I get it. I understand people enjoy it. That's fine. Being married to it, though, and being brainwashed by it, and having that drive all of your decisions, that's a serious problem, because that just means you're not learning. So that's my rant on that. 
it's a big deal. These these school levies are a big, big deal. And it's going to make people bankrupt. People are going to have to leave. They're going to have to find new places to live, cheaper places to live. They might have to quit their jobs. I read a post just the other day, or just today, actually. Very depressing. It was a uh, it was a mother of two young children, a nine-year-old, I believe a five-year-old, and then she was seven months pregnant. Very pregnant. And uh, they b- both her and her husband got laid off. And they are doing other particular jobs. They're trying to be deliverers of food and the Uber thing and all of that stuff. And they're trying to do that to try to make ends meet. But even that's not working out because people don't have the money to pay them to move from A to Z or to buy food that's deliverable and whatever based on where they live. And she also raised another excellent point, which is unfortunate, which is no one's going to want to hire her for a real position when she's that pregnant, knowing that she's going to go on maternity leave very quickly. And she was asking for prayers and all of it. This is what these levies are doing to people. These levies are crushing families completely. Good for Emily Greenberg. And thank you, Emily, for voting for families like that. I'm sure they give two shits about what you think. They don't care. They don't care about you. These levies are serious problems because taxes are a problem. They crush people permanently. And every time taxes go up, money goes down, the suicide rate increases dramatically. When unemployment goes up by like 3% or 0.3%, it's somewhere in there. My apologies, but the number three is in my head. I think the suicide rate goes up like 36,000 people. Every time that uptick occurs, that many people kill themselves as a direct result. Honest to God, I'm just so tired of stupid people. Aren't you? Aren't you just exhausted with all the stupid people? It really is bothering me. Ugh, wow. And I do pray for that family. I do. They didn't have a GoFundMe or anything like that. It didn't seem they were just asking for prayers, and I pray for them. Okay. Moving on here. A few jab-related things, and then I want to end with a societal happening that is occurring as a result of the jabs. First of all, that vote, that recommendation vote that took place last week regarding the CDC, the state of Ohio has already responded in, in uh, well, not in kind, they've responded with the law. This comes from WKBN.com. First News 27. Ohio health official says CDC vote won't change child vaccine requirement because it's the law. So as far as the state of Ohio is concerned right now, because it's the law, the CDC's vote means absolutely nothing. That doesn't mean, however, that you're not going to hear school board members play medical doctor for fun again and ultimately recommend, quote-unquote, that people take these shots because, quote-unquote, it's the best way to protect against COVID. 
You're going to hear them say that. They will say that even now, even after having a permanently compromised immune system and having AIDS as a result of these shots. They're still going to recommend that because they don't know what's going on. So that's going to continue to be a thing. Uh, let's see. He wrote the following in a prepared release. It says the following quote. This is the Ohio Department of Health Director Bruce Vanderhoff. Quote, the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, ACIP, recommendation for the COVID-19 vaccine to be added to the formally or scheduled or schedule of vaccines for children does not mandate this vaccine for school children. Ohio law determines required vaccines for school attendance. See the Ohio Revised Code 3313.671, he wrote in a prepared release. He went on to say that the state of Ohio does not mandate the COVID-19 vaccine for school attendance and that the advisory board's vote does not change Ohio law. The state's list, quote, of required vaccines can only be changed through legislation, Vanderhoff wrote. And there you go. Here's the other best part, which a lot of citizens and states do not know, including in Ohio. You do not need to take any of these shots to attend public school because you're allowed medical exemptions. You don't need flu shots, measles, mumps, rubella, polio, or other poisonous inoculations for which don't even exist practically. All you have to do is fill out a medical exemption from your doctor. Tell your doctor you want a medical exemption for your child or a religious exemption, and the school district will accept it because here in Ohio, it's state law. They have to accept it. Now, I know that people have been turned away at colleges and universities because they filled out the exemptions and the university said, well, we don't care. You still can't come here then because your exemption is denied. Well, they broke the law then. So how far do you want to take it? How far are you willing to take it? But yeah, there you go. So that puts that to sleep for the state of Ohio. It unfortunately isn't going to put it to sleep for harder leftist states who are probably immediately jumping on legislation to make the COVID jabs mandatory if they haven't already, like California, for example. So there you have it. Okay. Next jab story comes from iHeart.com. Quote, pediatric hospitals are overwhelmed by the rising number of RSV cases in children. Respiratory syncytial virus. It's not a virus, but it is a respiratory condition, where again, the body's broken down cells that exist inside of the lungs cannot be gotten rid of. So it leads to more serious illness, as it says, like bronchitis and pneumonia. And then, of course, they end up dying, potentially, if they're treated poorly. See, one of the things you've heard me say here, and I even did it on myself, didn't work, was uh, antibiotics. It's one of the first moves they make. Go to a hospital, you tell them you have a respiratory thing, they question you about the jabs, whether you took it or not, doesn't matter. They give everybody the exact same thing. They'll give you a cough suppressant and an inhaler steroid. That's it. Neither one of those things cure anything. They don't cure anything. 
it suppresses your normal immune system from trying to get rid of toxic cells that it's having an impossible time getting rid of, which means what do you need then? You need anti-parasitic drugs. You should nebulize with food-grade hydrogen peroxide in distilled water mixed half and half. Vitamin C, vitamin D3, zinc, and hydroxychloroquine, and ivermectin, or fenbenzenol, if I didn't mention that earlier. These are things that you can take, and you don't take them like all at once and overwhelm your body. You sort of piece it out a little bit, and then you stop, and you see how your body reacts to it. If you feel better, and you're coughing less, that means your body is, is winning. It means you're past the 50-yard line, so to speak, and you're heading toward the end zone where all of this ends. That's a good thing. But that's not what these hospitals are doing. They're cramming more and more expensive drugs down people's throats that are actually making the problem far worse. Here's another one. This comes from the expose. It's not improving here. None of this is getting better. Weird. Uh, it's titled, Pfizer COVID-19 Vaccine Alters Human DNA. And we've known this for a very long time. It says a Swedish study has demonstrated and confirmed that the mRNA in the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID injections infiltrates cells and transcribes its messages into human DNA within six hours, altering our own DNA. A previous study published in October of 2021 from Sweden, a year ago, found that the spike protein enters our cells' nuclei and impairs the mechanism our cells have to repair damaged DNA. It hijacks our body permanently. We've included this study here as the high wire, made an easy-to-understand video explaining it, including graphics, and so it's a good starting point to help understand the significance of the latest study from Sweden. It's over eight minutes long. I'm not going to play it. But this particular article hits on all of these points, not just with text, but with video. It's an excellent article. I highly recommend going over to the expose and checking that out. Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine alters human DNA. Send that to a school board. See how they react after that one. Here's another one. Here's a peer-reviewed journal article as of very recent. This comes from October 14th, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, October 14th. This was published in the journal titled Medicine, ironically enough. It is titled Silent Progressive Bilateral Papillitis After COVID-19 Vaccination in Case Report. I'm going to read the abstract, and here we go. Rationale. We report the case of a patient who developed asymptomatic bilateral papillitis after coronavirus disease 2019, COVID-19, that's not what it stands for, but nice try, after that vaccination, they say. Patient concerns. A 61-year-old man presented to our tertiary clinic with bilateral optic disc edema which was incidentally dis uh, detected during his first visit to a primary ophthalmology clinic. He had received an adenovirus vectored COVID-19 vaccine two weeks before the optic disc edema was detected and had experienced no ocular discomfort except for a floater in his right eye. Although his visual acuity was normal, 
and he had no color vision deficiencies or marked field marked visual field defects rather the optic disc edema swelling worsened over several days orbital magnetic resonance imaging showed no optic track enhancement and lumbar puncture revealed normal cerebrospinal fluid pressure the patient tested negative for aquaporin 4 and myelin no way i get this next one right uh, i'm not even going to try antibodies there we go and i'm just going to skip and say antibodies and lieber hereditary optic neuropathy associated gene mutations diagnosis it says the patient was diagnosed with bilateral papillitis possibly induced by the covid-19 vaccination interventions the patient received steroid pulse therapy can't won't, won't get that word the name of the drug for 3 days followed by an oral prednisone prednisolone taper for 3 weeks outcomes the patient's papillitis started to subside 3 weeks after he received systemic steroid therapy and completely resolved without any sequela 2 months later a year after the diagnosis the fundus remained stable without disease reoccurrence or optic disc atrophy it says lessons in conclusion Healthy individuals receiving COVID-19 vaccines may present with various manifestations of optic neuritis, if I'm saying that right. In the present case, the patient presented with asymptomatic progressive bilateral optic disc edema and had a favorable long-term course after receiving steroid therapy, unquote. A couple of things here. Of course, it's ruining the eyes. That's number one. But as we all know, number two, the overarching theme of this is that it's designed to make individuals dependent on the medical industry so that they have them for the rest of their life. Permanent sickness or permanent illness. Now, yes, this person recovered, but this person isn't going to get younger with age. So there's absolutely nothing saying that it won't come back. Just wanted to throw that out there. These articles are continuing to pop up. I find them interesting, and uh, they're more revealing. And more and more of these researchers are pointing to the fact that it is, in fact, the jabs that are doing this. Uh, here's another one. Cattle aren't even surviving the COVID jabs. This is from Natural News. Just going to read the headline. Lethal injections, 18% of cattle die immediately following the mRNA vaccination. As you've heard me say, too, they're giving it to zoo animals, so what could possibly go wrong? This comes from Steve Kirsch's uh, substack from a few days back. It is titled, New Study Shows That Pretty Much Everyone Is Getting Heart Damage From The COVID Vaccines. The subtitle says, They just aren't letting you know that. In Canada, the medical community is very smart about this. They don't let doctors measure troponin, I'm saying that right, or troponin levels rather, before you are vaccinated so nobody is the wiser. He's got a few uh, rather lengthy, but it's all right. He's, it's very well done. He's got a few videos and there you have it. So yeah, that's also something that's been mentioned before 
is that it's been said that the people who took these jabs also have underlying myocarditis without it being diagnosed yet. They just don't know that they have it. So, a little more food for thought, I guess, on that. Okay, I want to wrap up with this. This is an interesting societal happening, something that uh, I've mentioned a long time ago in the past, but fortunately someone wrote an article about it here on American Thinker. And I wanted to read this in its entirety to wrap up this episode. This is from October 21st by Laura J. Wellington. It's titled, Unvaccinated Single Women Say No to Vaccinated Single Men. Now, of course, that can be reversed, and it can be unvaccinated men are saying no to vaccinated women. It can be any which way you'd like, because that's happening too. So let me get into this. It says the following, quote, Ask any single woman about the ease of dating in today's world, and they will most certainly roll their eyes and groan. As a single woman myself, I can vouch for how tough the dating climate is for every one of us. But unvaccinated single women now have it that much harder. So do men, but whatever. Says the reason. The decision as to whether or not they will date vaccinated men is now on the table. And I can tell you firsthand, which has nothing to do with the viability of the candidates themselves as rich and interesting prospects, but rather sex, to put it bluntly. The overriding concern that the harmful effects of this vaccine may ultimately enter these women once the raincoat comes off. As these women choose to remain unvaccinated for a reason, mitigating any risk by eliminating candidates based upon vaccine status has become their new norm. Doing so isn't without its issues, admittedly. Qualifying single men by such a standard makes the pool in which to select from additionally small especially if one is living in a blue state. On top of that, plenty of single men don't shine to the notion that they aren't being considered simply because they decided to get vaccinated. Among the most disgruntled, hostile men tend to be those who succumb to the vaccine by force, feeling penalized twice over for a vaccine that they never wanted to begin with, many of these men don't handle these women's rejections well. Guilt, annoyance, diminishment, and just plain rudeness are known to occur in relation to these women's decision to stay committed to these particular to their particular stance. Quote, I have been called names for stating that the vaccine is a deal breaker for me, unquote, said Anika Janus. For these women, there is simply not enough information about the vaccine or its effects to warrant consideration. No one knows the ramifications or what is to come for those who took the vaccine. That's not true. But, whatever, they're still raising a decent point. It continues. It says, where men might be, I'm sorry, where men might take being vetoed personally, women don't see it that way. Women see it as an act of self-preservation and safety in the face of reality, given the nature of a large portion of men presently. Well, I can tell you this, that's not entirely true regarding men. If men are unjabbed, they have no problem walking away from a jabbed woman, because if they're unjabbed, 
what are the odds that they don't know what's going on? They probably know. Uh, let's see. It continues. It says, most will not want to keep that raincoat on for longer than absolutely necessary. With this in mind, until much, much more is uncovered about how this vaccine impacts lives, the decision to not date, quote-unquote, vaccinated men remains steadfast for numerous unvaccinated women. Same is true for men. Although, some may see these women's extreme caution as being foolish, others point to the intense criticism experienced extreme pressure imposed by vaccine mandates and the physical anomalies shared by outspoken vaccinated people no longer the picture of health after receiving the vaccine, quote-unquote, to validate their decision. For these women, science speaking to the efficacy of the COVID-19 vaccine does little to remove the fear associated with what they are observing all around them simply because, quote, no one knows who to trust anymore, unquote, in their opinion. That in itself is the only consistent truth these women feel that they can count on. Well, they can count on themselves if they're knowledgeable people, but you should give them a little more credit, maybe. It continues, it says, And if you think they are alone in this assertion, think again. Here we go. Plenty of unvaccinated parents agree and are cautioning their teenage and adult children to adopt the same form of thinking when it comes to dating. Single unvaccinated men are also following suit and running into the same issues as their single unvaccinated female counterparts, calling themselves purebloods, quote-unquote. They, too, are only looking for unvaccinated partners to date, and even unvaccinated Married women have taken a stand with regard to their husband's decisions to take the vaccine or not. Several have noted to me that divorce has has been has been become an option. Has become an option. I get what you're saying. Typo, but whatever. It says if their husbands buckled to the pressure of being vaccinated. All in all, the dilemma is resonating strongly across the unvaccinated board, beginning with single women. Well, I don't know if it's beginning with single women, but okay, we get it. It's written by a woman, so that's going to be their stance. It continues, excuse me, it says, as each person's health is truly their own responsibility, the stance so many unvaccinated single women are taking when uh, when contemplating future partners holds implications that span everything from lost opportunity to potentially moving to red states Uh, boasting larger pickings, quote-unquote, to the possibility of remaining alone forever. Wow. All right. That said, there is also the factor of time that may soften their positions. As more information comes out and more is understood, some of them may change their minds, but many say no, citing differing vaccination statuses and overall perspectives between vaccinated and unvaccinated being just too great. The same holds true for blood transfusions, which they also avoid, like the plague, due to concerns over vaccinated blood being given to them. 
quote, the decision to live, unfortunately, the blood supply is contaminated too, so no blood transfusions, says Moa Refum. I'm saying that right. Quote, if the vaccine says a lot about those, about who these men are at the core, including their level of awareness and definition of life, said Kathy McPherson. Fear over the exchange of bodily fluids, including saliva, combined with worries about the ramifications of shedding, adds a further layer in deterrent beyond mere ejaculation. It isn't one element alone that screams stop, rather many woven together, all of which make complete sense in their particular view. For now, Dating for single, unvaccinated women has just become even more insufferable than before. Who would have ever thought that quote-unquote vaccine status would become so central to cultivating new friendships and love relationships for much of our nation? The divide is here to stay because the damage that it has caused has already been done. Nothing can put that genie back in its bottle, unquote. And again, this too is not new. This is not new. This was a massive concern that was being highly discussed, dating all the way back to the very early spring of 2021, after these jabs had been rolled out for a few months by then. This is going to continue to be an issue. Where it will amplify itself, I believe, will be down the line if they even reach that point, where the jabbed are commingling with one another, so to speak, get in committed relationships with one another, and they cannot reproduce. And they're going to wonder why. And again, I've read many of those anonymous posts that there are people who are unjabbed, and they're describing their experiences with people that they know, including their own family members, who are jabbed and they're having miscarriages or incapable of getting pregnant. And, and so many of them are in such complete states of denial that they don't want to admit for a minute that it was the jabs that did it. But that's just the way that it is. That's reality. Because population control, ladies and gentlemen, has multiple societal tentacles. Multiple tentacles, and this is just one of them. So that concludes this episode on an upper. <laughs> well, let me let me mention this. Uh, on Wednesday's episode, we're going to have back Jesse James from the Dangerous Info podcast based out of Michigan, and Sandy is also joining him based out of Michigan. We're going to be talking Politics, a little bit, certainly politics, uh, education, the state of education in Michigan as it stands, along with the Crumbly case that is coming up in particular for the parents. And that, I believe, is set to start this week, if I'm not mistaken. So I certainly will be doing my best to cover that trial as best I can. Um, I'm not going to overwhelm everybody with it because I'm certain that's not the only thing everybody wants to hear, but I will bring up particular parts of it, and we're going to be discussing that along with other issues, I'm sure, on Wednesday, so make sure and tune in for that. Have a great week. I'll catch you then. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. 
Take care and God bless.